What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton, and I'm sitting here in, just outside of Maple Canyon in Ephraim. Is that how you say this town's name? Ephraim? Don't ask me. <laughs> Ephraim, Utah, uh, and I'm with Lee Kujis. This is a What, When, How to Train episode for the Blue Mountains. Lee's been on here before. Um, we've Actually, we've talked about a lot of things in a lot of different times. Um, I think you've been on the podcast twice now. One, a big community episode with the Black Heathens. And one, an episode about, is it really a plateau? Is that right? Yeah, it's good to be back. Good. I'm, I'm psyched that you're here. And I'm psyched for this episode because you are about as nerdy as it gets when it comes to how do you train for a specific area? And we're talking about your area. Harsh but fair. <laughs> uh, tell me a little about the Blue Mountains to start. And, and first off, is it blues or blueies? Because I know all you Aussies like to add E's to the end of shortened words. Yeah, we love it. It's, um, it's blueies, but the spelling of blueies is still uh, a hotly contested debate. Oh. Whether you throw the Y in at the end or whether it's an IES. Ah. I'm personally an IES, but I think I'm in the minority. I'm not sure. But anyway, definitely blueies, not yeah, blues. I, I have it written down here with a Y, so. There you go. I think um, that's now the de facto way. You if blues. you wish it to be. Yeah, but as long <laughs> as you say blueies. Um, but it really probably, I have to say probably outsiders call it the blueies. And if you're a local, you just refer to it as the mountains. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think? Because the first thing I noticed in Australia is everything is shortened. Maccas, tradies, yeah. you know, everything gets a, a shortened. Why, why go to the longer word? No, but it's just M-T-N-S. <laughs> <laughs> Not even joking. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. All right. Fair. Tell me about the mountains. It's, um, it's probably the most climbing dense so if you're about quantity and not necessarily quality no we're <laughs> going to talk about good quality stuff here but it's it's also well known as because it's a soft sandstone um climbing area so it's one of those it's got a, a lot of unique characters in in terms of the way it was first developed um and in terms of protection so it started off as a very you know the the history of the, the area goes back to it was one of the first places in Australia that was, um, I suppose, approached as a, they used it like, you know, when they were transferring from kind of mountaineering into roped rock climbing. Mm -hmm. um, and as that was happening in kind of, I guess, really around 1915 or, or so, the, there was some areas and some mountains in Queensland, uh, in the Glasshouse Mountains that were climbed pretty much first. And right around that same time, just afterwards, the Blue Mountains um, and a small 
group of crazies called the Katoomba Suicide Club. Mm. That was their name with Dr. Dark. That was he, he was like wow. the, the leading figure. This needs to be a graphic novel or something. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. These guys were, you know, so they were mostly soloing around and sometimes like tying a rope around their waist and going up. And you've you've been there, you've seen it. It's pretty, it's pretty out there. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, multiple hundred uh meter high cliffs that they were they were climbing around on. And yeah, so the, the history is really big. And because the area is quite large, so it's I keep aiming to do the the, the miles conversion, <laughs> but like a hundred mile uh, sort of radius of sandstone escarpment, um, kind of fully visible to the naked eye, as opposed to like I, I always think of it, I think of it as being a little bit analogous to the red mm-hmm. um, in the states. But for the red, for me, when I went there the first time, I was expecting it to be a bit like the the Blue Mountains, but the red to me was like hidden in forest. I couldn't right, really right. see it. I was driving up there and there was just trees and I would have to walk in, whereas the Blue Mountains, it's kind of in your face. Yeah. When you drive up, you see it. It's it's a big, big escarpment. So it's it's, um, it's really actually fascinating driving in, at least it was for me, um, because when you're coming in from Sydney, you're you're basically driving on this highway that's on the top of the center ridge of the mountains, right? Exactly. And so you see you're the views. passing all these towns yeah. that are like dotting this ridge and you're just way up above the floor for the whole time. Exactly. It's very cool. So as a climber, you're typically, you're walking down yeah. or you're wrapping in to yeah. access the, the cliffs, which is pretty cool. Like yeah. it's good to be on, on top of the thing. And look, that's, Eight years ago, we decided we'd been going there for 20 years, like, and we'd always go down there for our Christmas holidays. And then eight years ago, we just decided, yep, we're just going to buy a house that sits on the top of that ridge. Yeah. That's the place to be. Because if you want to go out and climb different stuff all the time, uh, it is, well, it's, it's, you're either going to, if you're in Australia, you're going to probably make one of two decisions. It'll be the Blue Mountains or it'll be, um, somewhere in Victoria, so you've got access to the Grampians and Anarapolis. Mm. That's probably the main choices. There are others, of course, but they're, they're probably, if you're going for numbers of, of rock climbs, they're your two options. Yeah. There's a pretty, I know there's a pretty strong climbing community in Blackheath. Does that also extend outward to like Mount Vic and Katoomba and further down the line either direction? Yeah, so you're referring to the fact that there's, these little towns that are separated by maybe five to 10 minute drives mm-hmm. between them. And they might have, for example, let's say 5,000, 6,000 people in each town. Um, a bit like any like small town, local split up town kind of arrangement. People in Blackheath think they've got it made and people right. in Katoomba think that <laughs> Blackheath people are stuck up and they've got it made down there in Katoomba. So yeah, there's a good, there's, there's a good number of climbers in, in all of those towns yeah. Blackheath, for whatever reason, because is has a lot of climbing really close to it. They all do. Um, Mount Vic, Mount Victoria has a stack of climbing um, right there as well. Um, there's no particular reason. I mean, I guess one is always going to have more climbers and be more of a more of the seen as the more of the hub, and that's probably is Blackheath. But I'm only saying that because I'm in Blackheath. If um, if there were a climbing battle a climbing face-off between all the towns in the blue mountains would black keith be the clear winner yes the clear winner 
Okay. As long as Ben Cossey doesn't move house. (laughs) Fair. If there were a battle between Blackheath and Sheffield, who wins? I I get the feeling they fight dirty. I right. They might. Yeah. And we we might lose out to their dirty tactics. Mm. Yep. They've got. I don't know. They're scrappy in the UK. You got to watch them. I would like to think we do, we we hold our own. I know we'd all be at the pub at the end of it. That's <laughs> exactly, for sure. Exactly. That's for sure. Yeah, I do think you know it's always interesting talking about climate towns, and I mean you live in one as well. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot, like the differences between these climate towns, and but it's they end up being little little mirrors of each other in lots of respects. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there like a de facto climbing mayor of Blackheath or of the Blue Mountains? I think in the past there in the past there probably has been, or at least the way as an outsider then looking in, I think there there has been. Mitch Warren for for a long time was a guy that was considered the mayor, but probably most people that uh, you know Sydney climbers that come up to the mountains now wouldn't even know who who Mitch Warren was, but he wore that mayor, mayor hat for a while. He was the guy that kind of the self-imposed um ethics police yeah. the the guy that was uh, saying what you couldn't couldn't do in terms of rebolting what you know all these kinds of things so he held that role for for a lot of years until um until one day he disappeared after um assaulting somebody with a stick um <laughs> it's, a, it's a story in and of itself but anyway so he's he's off the scene and um but now i would say i don't know that it's kind of interesting the people that might have ended up putting the mayor hat on have become um uh, probably a bit more moderate in their views, and I think it's it's more of a a shared responsibility now. And I don't see a single figure. I might be wrong, but I don't see a single figure as being sort of the the one that everyone looks to for modelling ethics or behaviour. Yeah. If you had to vote, if you were forced, like I, I understand, there's a a compulsory vote coming up in Australia. If you had to do that for a mayor for the Blue Mountains, who would it be? The mayor of Blackheath. Maybe, um, see how you did that? I said mayor of the Blue Mountains and you immediately said mayor of Blackheath. Yeah, I did, didn't I? <laughs> I'm go- I want to vote, you know, I'm, I'm future, I'm looking into the future. So I want to vote for, um, Lee and Andrea's like three or four year old son, Max. Max. Max, Max Cossie. Cossie. All right. I like yeah. this. Yeah. I like this idea a lot. <laughs> I think, yeah, he's got a big future. Uh, for sure. Um, can we talk, uh, since we're like talking about Blackheath, like winning the battle of the mountains, let's talk a little about some of the characters who are there now. I think certainly it has the strongest grouping of climbers in Australia, I would have to think. Yeah, if I mean, if you just had to lay it, lay it out on purely on the numbers and take all of the emotion out of it, it that's true. Yeah. Yep. There are strong climbers in other places. but For what, sure. But uh, if you had to just stack them all up and, and like pick a, a fantasy football league of like the top 10. Yeah. Um, Blue yeah, Mountains the, in general the, probably has most of them. The the statistics would, would bear out that, yeah, Blackheath is uh, – or I keep saying Blackheath. The Blue Mountains would be super strong. <laughs> Same difference in your mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and those are going to be the like Tom O'Halloran, yep, uh, Lee Cossie, yep, uh, Andrea, Andrea Ha, ha yep, Ben Cossie, Ben Cossie, 
Yep. Who else there? Um, Jake. Jake Bresnahan. Um, so Luke's, of, Luke's moved, right? Sorry? Luke has moved, right? Yeah, yeah, he has. He has super strong. He's moved to, um, moved to Victoria. Uh, and then there's, look, there's people that are kind of a little bit down the hill um, that, that are, cli- <laughs> you know, that, that still climb in the Blue Mountains all the time. Other, other really strong people, um, Ryan Holmes comes to mind. Um, but there's also super strong boulderers. Cairo Hazel um, mm. is there. Um, I think we mentioned Ben Cossey. We certainly mm-hmm. mentioned Lee, um, the strong uh, team of brothers that have been on top for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, I'm the fucking yeah. best. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Very famous, um, watching Ben send the groove train. Uh, if you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube. Always a classic. Fuck, I'm the fucking best. Yes! Yeah, so there's a, whole, there's a whole stack. There's a whole range of people. And there's lots of up-and-comers as well. Yeah. Um, particularly, in, particularly in bouldering. Uh, and a lot of these people maybe, um, maybe live in Sydney and come up all the time to, mm. to climb and whether that's on boulders or roots, but yeah. So between Sydney, um, sort of that, which is an hour and a half away and the mountains itself. Yeah. There's a strong core group of, um, fairly elite level climbers. Cool. What about the climbing there? Talk to me about that. Is there like a prevalent style? Like if we say the Red River Gorge is just long, pumpy enduro routes, you know, it's not true about every route, but is there a prevalent style or grip type or angle or something that is kind of the archetypal, this is the Blue Mountains? I think for most people, they're going to they're gonna probably treat the or, or think of the Blue Mountains as wall climbing, like standard, pretty standard wall climbing. You can start to break it down. You say, okay, well, what kind of wall? Well, there's lots of vertical stuff. That, and then there's lots of, slightly slabby stuff particularly for the easier grades and then we start getting into you know as soon as you're in 511 512 and up the angles just start steepening up and Mm so and for our rock type as a good visual when you're looking down these escarpments you because you're always just going where where are the roots oh there's so much and what you realize is there's there's so everything that you're seeing the parts that are climbed are such small amounts of rock and you probably got that impression when you went there yeah you can just look for what seems like tens and twenty miles of of cliff, and you're like, "Is is that all climbed?" Well, no, it's not, and it's generally because there's so much choss. Yeah, so and lots the, of vegetation yeah. on the wall, in my memory, anyway. In parts there are, and then for the parts where there aren't, you know, there isn't a lot of vegetation. Um, it's because it's the cliff is just landslid away, and mm. you know, it's it's quite you know, uh, inconsistent and, and chossy. Yeah. Just bad quality rock. Like the sandstone is so soft in parts that it's just unclimbable. Um, but the parts that are good, uh, vary between quite good and, you know, and, and extremely good. And I guess, um, the bits that are easiest to access around the towns are the ones that have been bolted, but people are going further and further afield. And it is, I mean, that's a nice thing. The fact that new route development is very much ongoing. I don't know whether I've said this so far, but there's like 7,000 routes yeah. just in the Blue Mountains region. And still new things being put. And up. still new th- every year. Um, it'd be interesting. I didn't get the numbers before here, but like it'd be easy to do. Um, 
we're pretty big using thecrag.com in Australia, mm-hmm. and that's where all the routes um, tend to tend to make their way. A bit like you would for mountain project, they get mm-hmm. added there, and so there's heaps of new routes going up all the time, which is good. And not just new routes, but whole new sectors, so yeah. whole new cliffs um, wow. all the time, which is really good. Which yeah. you, you know you can't say that for. Are they just harder and harder to access, or access is is often the case, but as <clears throat> Um, you know, minds have broadened and kind of new ways of approaching things mm. and thinking about things. So 20 years ago, you would never have thought it wouldn't have been worth bolting Elphinstone, uh, mm. which we'll talk about in a second. Um, they wouldn't have even considered bolting that because there was no way to walk in to the base of that cliff. Got it. So they would just write it off and go to one where you can do that. Because there's plenty of them, and then they they bolted those. But eventually, as you know, things become a bit more tapped out. The concept of wrapping into a cliff um, that is world class mm. uh, looks, you know, with a whole range of basically five thirteen and five fourteen routes. Um, that and then climbing out on rungs, and, and and doing that for say forty meters. You know, you need to climb out on rungs. They would have never done the rungs or anything like that, you know, some years ago. But now um, that looks like something that's really good and it's now super popular. Um, yeah. And people can get in really quick and they can get out really quick. And it was like, why didn't we think of this before? It would have opened up so many opportunities. But they didn't bother because they just had easier, you know, there was a and so lower much, hanging fruit. so much easier things yeah, to do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You just said 513 and 514 and... If you haven't been to Australia, if you haven't paid attention to the routes there, you may not know that they have a totally different grading scale, the Eubank scale. Is that right? Is that yeah, exactly. After John Eubank that came up with it. And yeah. it's pretty brilliant. It's just, you know, I don't know. If, does it start at one? It starts at one. And just goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And exactly. all the way to what's the top grade now? Like, well, you're fi- yeah, if 30 fi- well, out or something? Our top grade is and i hope i don't get this wrong um would be like 36 got it which oh actually it might actually no because not it's basically 9a i don't think we even really have any 9a pluses yet so sorry i just jumped french (laughs) (laughs) um so 514d is is 35 for us and we got a bunch of those and they're they're sitting in the blue mountains got Um, it Yep. So, but on the world scale, you know, you have five fifteen D, and that's thirty nine theoretically. So we've got some catching up to do. And in the short time since I recorded with Lee, they've done a little bit of that catching up. Uh, in just a few days apart, two potential fifteen As or thirty sixes were added to Australia: one in Nowra by Ryan Sklinica called Hard Cheese, and one in the mountains. Tom O'Halloran added hump of trouble. You said 513 and 514. So that's like 28, 29 and 33, 34-ish. Well, well, you know, your 28 is 13A, so yeah. which is always a good I, I always remember that one because it's kind of when I'm here in the States, it's you know, that 28 range is like something that I'm interested in and it lines up neatly with the 13A. Got it. And then the 514 is is 32 for us. That's 32. 8, 8B plus French and that's always another another good little one that I remember. Yeah. And then you can, it is a one for one from, and this is confusing for people, but like from 512B 
Um, that's 25 and you can just count up 26, and just, 27 and it's a one for one uh, all the way. But in your lower grades, it starts to get super complicated because uh, essentially you guys with your 5, 10, 5, 11 <laughs> bracket, that's yeah. eight grades, right? Right. Well, that only splits over six of our grades. Right. So that's from 19 through to 24. So that's why, you know, when we're here sometimes and my wife Sam is trying to She's like, oh, I don't know, that doesn't really feel like, you know, this is a 10D. And then she comes back and, and says, oh, well, actually 10D is, the, you know, the top end of 20 and the, the bottom end of 21 for us. Yeah, it, so we call them split grades. Right. Um, so, yeah, your system a little bit for the lower grades is particularly in 5, 10, and 11, you have a tighter bracket, which is always interesting. Mm-hmm. You got more work to do in your grading than we do for those, uh, those grades. Mm-hmm. I don't know what grades mean anyway. Our so. grades are fatter. Than I just <laughs> I just guess. That's what grades mean to me. Yeah. Um, climbing style. All right. Uh, okay, so we said wall climbing. What, what haven't we said? Fairly gritty rock mm-hmm. and a lot of um, basically the features tend, because it's sandstone, and look, I know not all sandstone areas are this way. The red's a good example. You have huge pockets and flowing swirling features that that are totally amazing the blue mountains doesn't have much of that what it does have is it's kind of like a simpler sandstone where you can imagine the the sandstone used to be a seabed and the layers get laid down and then they get they harden and when that's exposed you end up with everything is kind of in horizontal bands right and so the holds that you're gripping most of the time are horizontal edges of different sizes not all the time, but prevalent. You know, it's arch- archetypal. So mostly horizontal edges and horizontal breaks is what you're finding on on routes um, with a smattering of, of of other things. And the other thing that makes it kind of cool is, yes, there's sport cliffs that are single pitch that might vary from, um, I don't know, 30 feet to, you know, a full rope length in, in mm-hmm. height. But then... Just 20 minutes from town is, you know, and from where you stay, you can wrap into eight and 10 pitch multi-pitches. Right. And they're right there. Um, and people do it as a as an afternoon or a morning. You know, go and do an eight-pitch climb and then go and work for the afternoon or something like that. Yeah. Which is pretty. You can have an adventure, a big adventure, really close to home. Yeah. I thought that was really special about that place. And in fact whenever the conversation comes up like if you could choose anywhere to live where would you live i've said blackheath a number of times because it's so fantastic to be able to do that go climb a hard sport route uh 15 minutes from your house and also go do a six or eight pitch trad or sport climb essentially um in half a day that's that's amazing i think the thing that draws a lot of people is the from from a lifestyle option, like when I lived in Queensland, which is um, up further north and where it's where it's warmer, um, climbing still very very good and super varied. But when you went climbing, you just with where the climbing was, you went for the whole day. Yeah, you never went climbing for a half day. Right. And if as we as we get older and we've got, well, we don't have kids or responsibilities. Oh, we don't have responsibilities. I'm sure I've got something, but um <laughs> I, yeah, have, as, I have both. So I don't, there's other you can, things you I want to do. You can have one of them if you want. Well, I want to play my trumpet and stuff. There's <laughs> other things I want to do in the day. And um yeah, so to uh, you kind of you starting to look for convenience without but but sometimes when you look for convenience, you sort of give up adventure 
Yeah. You give up the like the the grand wow mm-hmm. of the whole thing. Whereas with the Blue Mountains, you don't compromise on that. You, you compromise on other things. Um, you know, suddenly you're living in a small town and, um, you know, where you, whereas before you lived in a big city and you missed some conveniences and stuff. But if, if you're going there for climbing and the ability to integrate with a community that are doing things other than climbing and maybe climbing is a part of what's going on in, in the day, then, yeah, it's really good for that. Yeah. And you're an hour and a half from Sydney or you can just take the train to Sydney. Yeah. Which... I mean, that's a pretty good trade-off, if you ask me. If you're renovating your house, if you're doing something where you actually need supplies that you can't get locally, <laughs> and I know about this, um, it you know you, you jump in the car and you go down with a trailer and you pick up what you need and you bring it back up the hill. Yeah. Um, and it ends up being a half-day exercise and probably grab some Mexican food while you're down there. It's a, it's a <laughs> it's a good deal. It's not too bad. Yeah, totally. Um, let's talk about you know, more, let's go a little deeper into the area itself. Um, one thing I want to know, or I want to talk about, because when we arrived, we were literally at the rental car spot or the car hire spot, as you would call it. And, or just the car hire, you wouldn't say spot. That's too many words for an Australian. Yeah, I was trying to think what the, um, what the slang would be for car hire. <laughs> <laughs> but no, car hire, that'll do. And, my wife was asking the people there about all the poisonous animals or dangerous animals in the country. She had to know them all. Like, tell me all the things I might come across so that I can be terrified every time I step outside. And we've heard a lot about that here in the States. Like, everything's dangerous in Australia. So talk to me about that. Yeah, you might die. The climbing's good, though. It's worth taking the risk. <laughs> there is a lot. So we, I think uh, I didn't look up this stat, but I, I think Australia has eight of the ten deadliest snakes mm-hmm. uh, in the world. So yeah, we've got them, and for the most part, uh, I think the most, I think the deadliest ones are super shy, uh, mm-hmm. and they don't really live around where we live. But we've got taipans and brown snakes and things, and they're quite aggressive um, and extremely poisonous. We've got. Sydney funnel web spiders, which, you know, if you, if I left my gum boots out, uh, what would you call gum boots? Like um, muck boots? Muck boots, yeah. If I left those kind of things out and about, like lying on their side under the house, and then I went to put my foot, so it, like there's no, no person that lives around where I live would just put their foot in a shoe that's been outside. Mm. You'd always tap it out and make sure there's nothing inside it because that's the way you get bitten. And, you know, or the other thing is gardening. You know, you're like, because they, these spiders basically burrow around in the ground. Right. And uh, if you're gardening, yeah, like when we were digging up to do stuff for our renovation, we pulled out heaps of these things. Mm. Um, yeah, so they they can kill you. Um, jellyfish. So you want to go to the ocean? You want to have a nice time? Yep. Well, you better. Sydney's good for that because it's like a cooler climate. You don't really get um, the same jellyfish that you get in northern Queensland, but. Yeah, box jellyfish and um, irukandji. Again, they'll that's in the northern parts of, of Australia. Go for a swim at the wrong time, boom, you're dead. Um, <laughs> boom, you're dead. Yeah. So, that. and same like if if you're up north as well. Um, I mean, everyone knows that like you want to go down to the water and wash some dishes or something like that when you're camping. Um, croc grabs you, boom, you you're gone. It's just gonna yeah, you're finished. There's no escape. <laughs> Oh, by the way, when you go for a swim, just keep – we've got shark nets. 
if you go for a swim in the wrong wrong place um, and there's no shark nets, for God's sake, like don't do it at night or something and don't do it drunk. Like the sharks can <laughs> smell the alcohol and then boom, you're dead. <laughs> I love this. How many of these things have you seen while climbing? While climbing, look, you'll see it's pretty uncommon. Like, like if without taking the piss, which is what we would say, um, <laughs> I haven't seen anything. Like in the last year of my climbing, I haven't seen anything in a, yeah. in a year. But coming out of winter now, which we'll be coming out of winter soon, and you know, things start warming up, people will be out trail running, which is super common in the Blue Mountains. Beautiful mm-hmm. spot to do it. It's amazing hiking. Um, trail running, very common for them, like someone on a 5K run to see a snake and like, ah, and jump over it um, on, on their run, super common. Um, but going climbing usually with a few people and stuff like that, it's pretty, pretty uncommon. Yeah. Um, you're sticking to tracks and to, um, you know, area, base of the cliff. Right. Fair, fairly uncommon, yeah. Um, we didn't see a single koala while we were there either. You will not see them. Yeah, yeah you're really going to have to. That's it's a it's a shame. I think they've all got chlamydia. Um, that's what I heard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Google it if you don't believe me. It's actually a thing. But they're, yeah, they're on the they're on the decline, which is which is sad. So it's worth um worth coming and maybe going to one of the um one of the zoos or one of the animal uh, animal parks to to see those. Yeah, yeah. you you very. It's super uncommon to see them in the wild now. We did see lyre birds with you guys, though. Yeah, they're awesome. They're, yeah. Blue Mountains is is great for lyre birds and bird life in general. Um, and the fact that they mimic things like motorcycles, chainsaws, chainsaws. And, yeah, uh, you, you should know. look up videos of the lyre birds. Lyre birds. It's, it's, it's lyre kind b- of amazing. To persuade females to come close and admire his plumes, he sings the most complex song he can manage. And he does that by copying the songs of all the other birds he hears around him, such as the kookaburra. It's a very convincing impersonation. He also, in his attempt to outsing his rivals, incorporates other sounds that he hears in the forest. That was a camera shutter. And again. And now a camera with a motor drive. And that's a car alarm. And now the sounds of foresters and their chainsaws working nearby. The lyre birds on one of our, um, I think it's the ten cent, um, ten cent coin. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. It's one of our, one of our currency pieces. It's a good one. It's a good bird. Are there any special like equipment that you would need for, for climbing in the Blue Mountains? Like, if you go to rifle without knee pads, you're not climbing very many hard things. Yep. What happens in the Blue Mountains? What do you need? Well, um, I mean, the first thing to think about would be. If you wanted to climb uh, some of the, let's say you want to do some like some things around like five six through to mid five eleven, um, some of the real classic standards um, that have been around for a long time, mm-hmm. you're probably going to still need 
bolt plates. Mm-hmm. Um, these are, and your audience might have heard, like of this is the uh, the famous kind of Australian carrot bolt with no hanger. You're like it's a bolt in the rock that has no hanger on it, so it's just a bolt that's sticking out a little way from the cliff. And if you didn't know and you were climbing some multi-pitch and there was a critical bolt, <laughs> uh, you'd just be looking at it going, what do I do with this if you've never seen one before? So we make and have for probably since the, what, 60s or 70s made these keyhole-shaped brackets yeah. that slide onto the bolt and then the quick draw gets clipped to it. And But the thing to be aware of as well is if you're ever doing those types of routes, don't use your skinny modern wire gate or really skinny i-beam like a even you have to watch out with like a new petzl spirit that kind of i-beam construction of carabiner that has a very low profile or it's just not very not very fat they can still it it cannot block the hole in the keyhole enough to stop it sliding off and i know that's difficult if you've never used these things you go what is this guy talking about but just consider which carabiners you use to clip through yeah. those bolt plates because otherwise what happens is, and this has happened, um, you know, someone's eight bolts up on a on a route, goes to pull rope, it rattles mm. the rope down sure. the route and every single quick draw rattles <laughs> off the bolt and you are now soloing. <laughs> and then if you get nervous, boom, you're dead. <laughs> Australia's fucking dangerous. <laughs> so that's one thing, bolt plates, that'll be one. Um, you can probably, if you know anybody around, we're, we're happy to loan them. We've got way too many. Uh, I've got, got a bucket of these things um, that I'll never use. So, yeah, you can always ask around or just get them at the local shop and use them as a as a souvenir, you know, grab six or something and uh, that'll probably probably do you for most of, uh, most of what you'll do. The other thing you can use as well just in a pinch is sliding the, the nut down on a, you know, mm-hmm. like on a wide stop. Yeah. I think you call them stoppers, right? We call them yep. nuts or wires. Um, just slide the slide the metal part down so you've got the, the loop and then put it over the bolt and slide the nut cinch back, up, back up. Cinch, cinch it up. Yep. yep. Yeah, I've whipped on those. They're, they're, yeah, that's fine. Yep. Um, so that's bolt plates. You're going to need them if you want to do any carotid roots. And look, we that's not the exclusive bolt type by any means and rebolting efforts from like the good guys at um, the SRC Rebolting Fund are replacing those out with glue-in um ring bolts basically yeah um so the other thing that i would take what would i take on a on a trip to the blues i would take a stick clip or i would buy one um roots are on average i feel based on my experience in the states slightly more run out than the states generally um i'm not sure if you agree but that just or it felt the same but it felt like new river style bolting to me cool yeah all right so on average more run out and we won't typically place it's not like europe where we'll place the first bolt like super close to the ground for your convenience that almost never happens we'll place the first bolt pretty damn high um because we always kind of figure the and look i can you know i was bolting 20 years ago and i can say that we always just assumed the first bolt was going to be where you would be really scared to jump off Mm-hmm. And once you had that clipped, and the second bolt not should be not so far above that, so then you've got two things. But you always thought that uh, people would be quite careful getting to the first bolt, and um, and it was better to do that than putting a low, lower first bolt where people are then really lax and then can fall off and hit the ground. Sure. So don't be. What I would say to people is, don't be afraid to stick clip. 
just stick clip the first bolt on roots and then you're not breaking any ankles and you're going to have a good day. Yeah. So bring the stick clip and um, and use it, I'd say. The, the landings at nearly all of the cliffs are very rocky and it's not it's not beautiful grass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, there's jagged rocks everywhere and, yeah, it's good to use the stick clip. And sometimes you're on a ledge still quite far off the ground. Yeah, super common. I mean, it's going to, yeah, you, you could break a, break a leg and then drag your belayer off the off the ledge and <laughs> yeah. you both go so yeah definitely definitely um yeah be cautious it, it is a for, for that i must say like it's that thing i was saying before about an adventurous feel mm-hmm. even the single pitch sport the sport crags often super common to be on a small ish kind of ledge with a huge drop into the valley so i mean it's beautiful it's amazing yeah but is it particularly uh, kid friendly there are k- some some kid friendlier cliffs but i would say like as a general rule no not really is it dog friendly mm, no not really there's a few places where it's okay but like generally not you kind of want to have your wits about you even though you're five minutes from a cafe mm-hmm. and that's the weird thing like yeah. it, it feels like an outdoor gym in, uh, sometimes but yeah it would be really easy for for things to to go wrong for people if you were taking it too casually mm-hmm. yeah so what else? There's a couple of couple other things. So shoes. If you're only bringing one pair, I would recommend that you bring a stiffer shoe because we're talking about these little horizontal edges. You're standing on really small footholds and that's that's regardless of the grade. So even the easy grade roots in the main, um, if it's easier graded, typically it's going to be slabbier. And if you're climbing these slabs, you're going to want a stiffer shoe because you're going to be standing on really quite small edges. Mm-hmm. And even the hard routes, like if you're an elite climber, you'll choose what shoes to wear. And you, if you want to wear softies, that's totally cool. But like if you're only bringing one, I would recommend a stiffer shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the crags lack adequate warm-ups. Some like Centennial Glen, which is a very popular, um, very popular crag, one of the first sport crags that was developed in the mountains and still super convenient access um doesn't in the main depending on your grade doesn't have particularly good warm-ups at all so a crag board you know something to warm up your fingers and get recruited before you pull on is a really good thing yeah from um, awesome woodies of course get the awesome woodies one be you know be aussie proud um they make good stuff they do yeah um yeah bring a crag board or get one um, or make your own if you if you need to, but yeah, grab an awesome woodies, something like that, um, to get recruited. Probably, I guess there's a there's a heap of finger injuries in places like um, wild iris and stuff when you're jamming your fingers into pockets. But I know that there's a lot of finger injuries that happen in the Blue Mountains as mm-hmm. well, particularly because people are trying to do things when it's really cold, sure, um, and and pulling on and things go bang. So don't be one of those people. Um, lastly, for gear. A couple of the harder cliffs that we mentioned before, Elphinstone, um, which is like one of the premier, mm-hmm. it is the premier hard climbing uh, cliff in Australia, has the, the hardest routes basically. And also the pit, which absolutely shines at 13A. It's like mm. for me, it's the best 13A cliff uh, in the Blue Mountains. Both these areas have abseil in climb out um, approaches and that kind of means you're going to want some kind of rope grab, like a like a T block or a traction mini traction. And are you climbing out up a route? Are you're you... climbing out up a. Yeah, I didn't explain that. So that you would wrap in, and then when you climb out, you're climbing out on rungs, and you're protecting yourself with a sliding rope grab on the fixed rope that you've 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 come in 
Got on. it. You've absolutely on. So like if you were to fall off the rungs then, you need something to catch you. So you need a traction or a T-block or something like that. Yep. Um, and some gloves uh, make that much more comfortable to mm. climb out on the rungs. So if you're planning to go to Good some of those more out. elite crags, um, yeah, chuck those few little items in. It'll make your life uh, easier. Good beta. Uh, let's talk when. Is there... Like a lot of areas have a, a busy season and then they have the actual good weather season. You know, Lander's a prime example of that. It's really busy in the summer because it's one of the better areas in the country, but the shoulder seasons are actually much better to climb there. Well, that's a carbon copy of what I would say for the Blue Mountains. And I'm looking at, I just pulled up the crag.com and I'm looking at this, the you know, where the ticks are, are, are being put in. Mm-hmm. The two highest months are basically december january but that's our summer right and that is not i repeat not the best time to climb (laughs) in the blue mountains um the reason is because people are people like me coming down from queensland and coming up from victoria they're going there on their on their christmas holidays because it's so great and they just make do and they sweat um and they slide off the small holds uh it's a it's a great place to have a holiday regardless but it's not the best time the best time would and everyone will have their own opinions because some people like it when it's really really cold sure um i'm not one of those people i prefer more kind of shoulder season type things so for me april is like a prime month I, i really like it and september october um are usually really good months too in saying that um and april would be your fall or autumn it'd be yeah exactly yep that's right september october is your spring yeah that's right coming out of winter so i mean what what you should say is as well in terms of weather and conditions is that you're at a thousand meters three thousand feet of altitude so it can rain quite a lot like it's subject to a lot of weather so the the daily chance of rain um, year round hovers about 25%, meaning every four days or so you can bank on getting some rain. But of course, yep. it doesn't come every four days. Sometimes it'll be like two weeks straight of rain. These things can happen. And yeah, there was a lot of rain when we were there. You wouldn't be the first climber to come to the Blue Mountains for, you know, planning a rampage to get um, completely rained out the entire time, Joe Kinder. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, let's talk. Let's talk how. That's what. That's what people really, really want to know. Like, how do we prepare to climb hard at the Blue Mountains, whether it's holiday trip or whatever? Um, what are the specific skills you need there? Um, and do they show up in different grade brackets? You know, does it, like a, a certain skill really come into play at five twelve or five thirteen or? 2025 is that 512 2425 exactly yeah 12a is is 24 and then 12b is 25 yeah exactly i think um you want to be able to stand on small holds Mm -hmm. in all grade brackets that's that's like something that's ubiquitous i think but um and they're not super slippery no and that's that's kind of nice like for a very popular area where like lots and lots of climbing is happening see if you if you had this in Europe where there's 7,000 routes at an area um, and you're getting on 5, 10 level routes, they're going to be polished as all get out. Yeah. On, on, well, particularly if it's limestone in any of these popular European areas, you will 
in, if you don't like polish, and I'm trying to try, I don't know about you, but like now, because I love European limestone, mm-hmm. I've had to train myself away from thinking that polish is bad. Yeah. You just have to retrain your brain. But um, some people are unwilling to retrain their brain and they just hate it. They want friction. If that's you, the Blue Mountains will suit you because there is very, very little polish. Um, it's it's grippy, sandy. Um, so sometimes, you know, you'll move your foot on an on an edge or on a um, – and you'll feel the grains of sand give way. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is like that. So, yeah, there's very there's great friction on, on the majority of the holds um, unless they're made of glue. And, yeah, but you do need to be able to actually put your boot on a small hole and stand on it. So doing things like footwork drills and climbing roots that, are, you know, it, it, slabby roots on granite, that kind of thing, would be depending on where you're coming from and what you're used to. Like if you haven't done a lot of that, if you're just used to pasting your feet, if you lived at Maple um, and, and climbed at Maple Canyon all the time, you better get ready. Like the the, the footwork is couldn't be further apart. Right. Um, yeah, you're not just pasting your feet on big cobbles. You're um, you're standing on small micro edges. Um, for yeah, a lot of and stuff. I actually think in like today's commercial gyms, you can spend a lot of time like standing on bad volumes like trying to stand in the bolt holes of a volume and and let the friction do some of the work learn to smear on those frictiony walls that are and volumes that are so popular in gyms now so you really can train for that kind of thing um and there are lots of like if you have a home wall there are lots of no shadow feet and small small like textured edges that you can you can buy and and learn to stand on and that'll be super helpful yeah definitely and the other thing which is kind of good because um i think it mimics a lot of current fads in training around things like fingerboarding hangboarding um is having strong fingers and you know being able to crimp is going to be again handy kind of at all at all levels um the, the holds are very simple. They're, they're going to kind of almost mimic what you're grabbing when you're doing your standard training on things like hangboards, fingerboards. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the holds are going to feel that way. So, um, and I know, look, we we asked before this episode, we, we went out to the community and we asked them, um, you know, what they thought was sort of some key, key elements to train before for a trip. And there was a lot of cool kind of themes coming back through from that and crimping was crimping was one of those things and some people you know uh even went so far as to say like you know the high angle crimping yeah luke hansen said high angle crimping so yeah i mean Um, aiden aiden watch aiden roberts um yeah he he would go really well uh (laughs) well everywhere but the blue mountains he'd go really well because it's that that the ability to not only just grab the crimp but really own it um, and be able to pull your body in on it. Um, that yeah, uh, in the higher grades, kind of kind of helpful. Almost going the other way, um, a, a skill that I see, um, like if we're talking sort sort of now five thirteen and up climbers, a skill that they have um, is the ability to utilize all of the friction that is available before needing to go into something like a high angle crimp. Yeah. So they have an amazing ability to hold a, a really small edge in like a drape, like an open yeah. grip, um, 
and use minimal energy and and really milk all of the friction that's available. Yeah. Um, and look, if you don't have that facility because you don't climb on sandstone, um, it, it might be difficult to kind of train that and understand what I'm talking about. But I guess the thing is to say is that even for a grippy rock type, um, conditions can play a big role. So totally. sometimes um, you'll do something like, for example, roots I used to try when I would come down in Christmas time and it's uh, December and it's, you know, nearly 100 degrees mm-hmm. Fahrenheit out and uh, I would then, you know, when I moved here and I'd just go down there in shoulder season and just do the roots straight away and, like, it's all conditions. Um, suddenly your skin is harder, you don't have as much sweat going on and it's the classic thing where you have this feeling that the rock is gripping you. Yep. Instead of the other way around, yeah, and it's magic when you can get those those days with a nice breeze that's at your kind of right temperature. You're not sweating, and you've got nice hard, um, hard but not too hard skin um, that yep. works really well. So yeah, I can definitively say that here in Maple, the rock is not gripping me back. No, no, it does the opposite. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. trying to eject you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you are famously a moonboard junkie. How does the moonboard prepare you for Blue Mountains? I think it was really, really good, um, particularly if you were, let's say you're more of a, if you tend towards the more endurancey style of climbing um, and the technical side of climbing, maybe lower angle, maybe not. I think if you're more of a root climber, a root climber's climber, an endurance climber, the moonboard, in particular the 2016 set, which is the three, you know, black, um, you know, the original set, if you know which what I'm talking about, which was the kind of the smaller hold set. Yep. Um, that set in particular was amazing for um, allowing me to build the snappiness and the recruitment and the power to take on those kind of, you know, thir- you know high 13s kind of cruxes that you would find on the roots. So the, the roots in the Blue Mountains, and we talked about this a bit, it's a bit hard to to say that they're bouldery because often they're quite long, but, but at, by the same token, the cruxes, nearly all are boulder cruxes. It's not mm-hmm. like you're often, you usually do get kind of shut down on a move. Like it'll be a really long, like you'll fall off because you're pumped. But if you really looked at it, um, it's because the boulder was quite challenging for you, like the boulder that you had to do. Right. Um, and the moonboard was really good at developing that kind of that kind of fast twitch, which, I mean, people that climb on it, they know what I'm talking about. You just have to watch a video of someone. You end up snapping. You just – that amazing sort of like cut and catch um, style of climbing because it's the opposite of endurance climbing, right. which you're already good at. It helped fill – a gap mm-hmm. so yeah it's really good i find it and the other thing that i find it's really good for is if i've done a lot of hangboarding um hangboarding as we know you know you grab it put you have weight on or you don't or you're doing no hangs or whatever but it's very controlled and so yeah. you're building strength and you, you're doing hypertrophy type work muscle building work um and some neuromuscular work if it's really heavy and you're just doing brief hangs and that's all fine but it's always very controlled what you're missing is the speed element the recruitment element, which only comes from like snapping up a board and grabbing a small hold and you have to grab it really quickly and accurately um, and then you need to move from it and you do the same thing again. That fills a void that 
hangboarding can't do alone. Yeah. So I find it useful as a tool to supplement. Hangboarding for me is year round. It's all the time mm-hmm. and it never goes away. And I've been doing it for as long as I can remember. And the moonboarding for me is phases that I drop in to help like level up my power and recruitment game. If you happen to be a moonboard frother the same as Lee, then you might want to check out his moonboard benchmark buster training plan through Sequence app, which is run by another mountains mega crusher, Jake Bresnahan. And you can find out more about that at sequence-app.com. And if there's one thing I know about Lee, it's that he doesn't half-ass anything. So I bet all of you moonboard frothers will be quite happy. Um, you mentioned that they're, the roots can be really long, but they're also bouldery. Are they generally sustained or are they like boulder rest, boulder rest? I think typically it is more the latter. So it's more of like a boulder rest of some in some format, rest in some format. So the easier the route, the better the rests. Yeah. The you know the at Elphinstone, for example, where we have the sort of the highest level routes, it would still be similar. Like on something like Tiger Cat, the famous um, thirty three or like fourteen B, um, you start like with a an opening section, and then you have a knee bar rest, and then you have a, like a kind of a hard bouldery section to a rest on a big rail, you know, where you can chuck your heel up maybe. And then you have another, the cartoon crux that they can call a cartoon crux because it's using a hold that really it's just a suggestion. It's just a cartoon drawing (laughs) of a hold. It's not really a hold that you have to use. And then you get through to a a big like wrapping jug horizontal kind kind of rest. And then it's you're only at halfway and it's almost a sprint to the finish. However, the rests that someone like Jorge Diaz Rulo used on his flash of that route is like a shallow two-finger pocket that he's, you know, like so right. at, at a high level, the rests are, are worse. Sure. But by the same token, um, it's still not the classic sustained Red River Gorge where every move feels similar for the entire route and it's just a battle of attrition. It is a little bit more... Um, one way to say it would be discontinuous. The other way to say it would be, um, I, I guess, sort of tactics-inducing, where mm. you're figuring out for your um, body chemistry what is the way to what is the way to to, to win this battle. Is it going to be a is it a sprint? Is it an Anamondra sprint, or is it going to be uh, no five minutes at this hand jam rest in a break? Yeah, um, that's going to win it for you. And I've I've tried to figure that out for myself and it almost I can never figure out like a golden rule that always works. Sometimes it's go really fast and other times it's like milk that rest. Yeah. Depends on the route. And we've got a bunch of comments from the community here that echo a lot of the things you're you're saying, but let's stop on some of the things if they you know, if they are things that we haven't talked about. Um lots of crimping, Mr. Ben Jenga said crimping. Um Let's see who else do we have here talking crimping. Doug MCC said proper crimping. Uh, Luke Hansen said high angle crimping. Uh, Cheers Nicole said crimping, obviously. Um, That's a good point Nicole makes actually around. We, we didn't mention the, the 
the whole if she she's short so she's saying short person stuff is lock offs and yep. high steps so often there's a long distance between these holds even on like low grade routes um which can mean and of course they're they're still doable like we've got some classic reachy things that Lynn Hill, um, you know, climbed when mm-hmm. when she was out there, just floated up everything. So the, all these things are, they're still possible, but uh, yeah, you want to train that in some format. So lock offs, even doing things, you know, lock offs on the campus board could be could be pretty good. Just to yep, um, you know, even if it's feet on a chair or or whatever, but just building some some lock off power can be quite good. And I think doing like finding and doing lock-offs on the wall is really valuable too because uh, like Will Vidler in here says ability to grab an edge and lock it to your hip. You know, a lot of that comes from how you place your lower body and the position you get into and learning how to hold those lock-offs that are, you know, far too big for you to just be able to lock off, you know, if you're like holding a ring or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The other yeah. one that comes up a few times from different people is um, mentioning mentioning skin. Yeah, that's it, a that's a big one. I that one was a surprise for me when I was there. Um, it's you 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 lose a lot of skin climbing. It would be typical that, and I remember I was talking to Sam about this, and she related. Do you remember? She said, "Do you remember like when we used to drive down and we'd have our first day? We were super frothing, just out there climbing heaps." And then the second day, and you might be down there for 10 days or something. So the second day, everyone is looking in your group is just looking at their fingertips going, I don't think I can climb. Yeah. Like you just have red. That like You have good, I always say with your fingers, you've got good red and then you've got bad red. <laughs> and so you're looking down and you're seeing bad red across all of your tips um, like a comp climber would after they've just tried yeah. that, that fourth. The new World Cup. It, yeah, they're, they're on their fourth Volumes problem in the World and, Cup uh, and they've just tried it 20 times and just sliding down some volume. Like the, it's that bad red. Um, and that's what happens on day two. And then you you, 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 you of course, have a rest day and you come back and your skin has miraculously, like it's it's come good. So if you do have, for example, if you've got a fairly short trip, it does pay to think about what you do for for skin preparation prior to the trip. And I'm only just learning about that kind of now with some of the mm. stuff that I'm doing as well. And I, I know that like we've talked a little bit about it, that concept of – and so like I can tell you what I did for, for this trip, which was about seven to ten days out from the trip. I started to um, – I started to sand back my – like back my and I, w- I would wait till after a hangboard session, for example, where my ha- my skin's really chalky still. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's helpful. And then I would sand all my fingers and my thumbs um, back, and I would use like a you could use a one of those Rhino you know skin sanding things, or even better, one of the power company um, you know skin files. I was using like an electric plug it into the wall like sander and just sand everything back. And then I would go up and, and and moisturize straight away. So clean off and moisturize. And I did that every day. And what that did do is it it knocked all the skin back and allowed it to come back thicker. Yeah. And so when I was like ready to start climbing on this trip, I already had good skin. I didn't need to let the climbing over the first four days develop the skin that I needed to, to sort of come good for the rest of the trip. I'd already done it. It was pre-done. The trap is if you do a bit of that and then you forget and you don't follow through, it'll thicken up 
and then it'll start to potentially shed off and right. you'll arrive at the trip with terrible skin. Yeah. So I think there's some people should muck around with that idea um, to see what works for for them. I know people that you um, that have very sweaty skin, some damp skin. They and like that's most of the people I know would sort of fall in that bracket. I'm the opposite, but they use things like some of the Rhino drying products or yep. antihydral or something like that. Um, again, not one to experiment with for the first time right before the trip. I think that's a mistake. Um, but if you're already on it um, and you know that you're quite damp skin, you might want to use those to um, start to toughen and dry your tips as well before you come. Yeah, absolutely. I think learning how your skin responds to these kind of things is super smart and and understanding what your skin type is and what the weather of the area you're going to you know you 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 sort of want different skin for a really dry place versus a really humid place you can have really thick skin going to a humid area and that's probably a good thing when you're going to a really dry area if if your skin's thick and glassy it's going to be no good for you you're just going to especially if it's cobbles or granite or slippery limestone edges you're just going to blow off of everything yeah yeah that sounds sounds totally reasonable i will say as a as a bit of a knowledge share it seemed to take me about 20 years to figure out what kind of skin type i had i always thought oh because it was really sweaty where i lived like it was really hot and so i was always sweating and so i thought that i had really damp skin really really sweaty skin yeah and then I it did when antihydral first came out and was first available to climbers. Of course, I'm I'm an early adopter with these things. Yeah, I smeared it all over everything. Say so you overdid it, didn't you? Yeah, I overdid it. <laughs> more is more. <laughs> and um, and then all I just kept splitting in the creases of my fingers. Yeah, yeah. And like an idiot, I did not connect the fact that. <laughs> I just kept doing it and I just kept <laughs> splitting and kept splitting and then I just like I ended up throwing out the tube so I wouldn't use it anymore and eventually the splits went away and it took me years and years to figure out like if you've, if you've tried some any kind of drying agent and you are splitting in your – particularly in your creases um, which take kind of two weeks to then heal and then they're weak um, and they take, you know, months ultimately to come back and be, be yeah. good. If you're doing that and you're splitting – don't use any drying products ever. Just yeah. throw them all away or give them to a friend and buy all of the moisturizing products instead yeah. and sand. So just do sanding and use moisturizing products and you'll be in a much better place. And that's coming from years of me stuffing it up and not understanding my own skin type. Yeah, I did the exact same thing, you know, climbing in the red for years. Antihydral helped a little, I think. Um, I did not go overboard the same way you did. I think you had already gone overboard and other people had already gone overboard. So I read your warnings and did not. Um, but since I've moved to Wyoming, I've realized my skin's actually pretty prone to being really dry. So I haven't used a drying agent and I can't tell you how long. And I haven't had a split or a, I've had maybe one flapper in the last five years something like that man that's incredible uh, it's been great if people come to the blue mountains they're gonna get a flapper yeah. if you don't get a flapper um coming to the blue mountains i'll give you your money back i wish i knew i wish i remembered whether i got a flapper there or not i'd send you an invoice 
<laughs> but yeah, we did get skin toughness from SRC Rebolting, um, as well as somebody else mentioned it here, Set in Stone, Southeast Queensland. Thanks, Nate and Monty. And you mentioned that it's really bouldery. Uh, Finn Irving said Campus and Dino Power. Yeah. And Cairo said sloper triple paddle moves for sure. And see, I I don't know bouldering enough to know whether he is not <laughs> joking or not. But yeah, if you've got the triple paddle, bring it along. I love it. Um, I do have to just mention Jackson climbing here real quick, who said chas dodging and long distance driving to the Grampians. Coming from a Grampians climber, he's uh, <laughs> yeah. There's always the guys that live down there. They're definitely on better stone, uh, and they lord it over us. Some of the best um, stone. Well, really, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you, if you don't know, then now you know. Um, it really is amazing because it's essentially quartzite down there. It's just um, yeah, mind-bogglingly good stone. Um, but they have, you know, like everything, uh, it's always a compromise. They've got their own problems. We've, yeah, we've spoken about those problems yeah. on other other Especially podcasts. Especially now. Yeah, yeah, access um, is a real problem. Stuart Art says something we've already talked about, which is being able to do two V5 boulders with a jug in the middle. I think that's just a valuable skill for any sport climbers to learn how to shake out on a jug and learn what that means. Yeah, Stu's a machine. He knows his stuff. Um, and I guess what he's getting at there, being a, like a sort of a 8C, 8C plus kind of climber, is um, what he's saying is even in the harder routes, um, if you have that skill, um, you know, the, the the boulders might not be so hard, but your ability to recover between the boulders yeah. um, really becomes a factor in totally. order to get up these harder routes in the Blue Mountains. And we're talking at that level kind of like top end 513 into 514. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Doug MCC as well as Louis Valeri. Louis says thermal shock and thermal Doug shock. says – methods to stay warm in the cold doug mcconnell is yeah another one of the best um climbers in the blue mountains and doug is well known currently in Flatanger in norway crushing the cave um he is well known for climbing in really cold conditions and really loving it but he like we know like the colder it is you know around that four degrees celsius um, you know, getting close to freezing is when that is the temperature that is, you know, La Sportiva and Scarpa have chosen to optimize your rubber on your shoes for. Mm. Why did they do that? Because that is the temperature at which your fingertips stop sweating. Mm. At four degrees, you cannot sweat out of your fingertips anymore. It is it is kind of scientifically optimal. For those of you trying to do that conversion in your head like I was trying to do, 4 degrees Celsius is approximately 40 degrees Fahrenheit. It is kind of scientifically optimal um, temperature for climbing. And if, you, if you're me, I'm just numbing out and dying. Same. If you're Doug, <laughs> uh, you, are, you are getting ready for the route. And what he's saying there is like tactics for, for staying warm. And I always like, I, I watch, you know, uh, Dave McLeod videos of climbing in Scotland and things like this. And I just, I'm always sitting there thinking, how is he, I'm always like interested in the concept of tactics to stay warm and not numb out and to not freeze on route and to get warm for, for climbing and to have a belayer that doesn't die yeah. while you're on the pitch, all those things. 
if they are handy, particularly if you want to come to climb um, in in winter, which is you know your your summer in the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were planning for June, July, August, um, you'd better be ready for some really seriously cold conditions. And I assume it's humid cold there too. Generally, yes. Yeah. So that's so, a, that's a rough kind of cold. Yeah, I guess once it's so cold, you don't even really feel the the humidity anymore. But it will like through winter. It is rarely under eighty percent humidity. Well, I'll say this: I've lived in the midwestern United States, where it's very humid, and the winters there are worse by far than our winters in Wyoming, where the temperature is much colder, but there's no humidity. Oh yeah, and it's not as biting. It's it's much easier to warm up, especially if you're in the sun. Um, whereas like if I tried to climb in the red in in temperatures like we get in Wyoming, not a chance, not going to happen. It's going to be, it's so biting. So, yeah. I don't know if it's like that in the blue mountains, but. Oh, absolutely. Oh, for me, for me, it is June, June, July, August. Um, those months are, look, they probably maybe are the months when, nah, I was going to say when the hardest roots go down. I'm not sure that that's really true. I, th- I think it's still shoulder season when the hardest, the absolute hardest roots go down. But like a lot of hard bouldering goes on in those, mm. in those months. People mm. are out bouldering. Um, and, you know, it, it is that thing that managing your body temperature and figuring out how you can climb in cold conditions, I think allows you to probably, and for, for Doug, like would be maximizing your performance he's going to do his best climbing when it's when it's really cold. I think that's a skill. Um, if you're interested in getting into that kind of style of climbing and not in the Blue Mountains but probably everywhere, um, I think it's a useful skill to develop. I'm not sure that I necessarily have it. I'm still looking for, you know, synthetic or down pants to yep. buy because yep. I tried a pair the other day and it just was, felt like a game changer while I was on belay. Yeah, um, it just especially went, if it's windy and cold. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've got... There's a couple more I, I one I really want to get to, but first let's stop at Will Vidler's comment here, holding glue. And you mentioned standing on glue. Lots of glue in the mountains just because of the nature of the stone. It's I um, don't remember really seeing any. Good. Yeah. No, that's I'm I'm happy you say that. It's the roots there. Um I think you could do a whole holiday, like a whole trip, and you could climb a hundred climbs and never see any glue and never grab any glue and never stand on any glue. That's totally feasible. In certain certain areas and certain routes, um, definitely have some, some glue. Um, and generally it would be used to, uh, in some cases, reinforce a hole that was going to come off. Yep. And that's when you kind of, they might have used the glue to sort of go behind a flake or something and then some of it's come out on top of the flake or something mm-hmm. like that. So there's a few sort of almost infamous examples like there would be almost anywhere i right. mean maple's, right. a, maples a great example yeah. um you know they, there's glue everywhere but uh in general hopefully most of it should be hidden because it's like uh for example you're bolting a multi-pitch and there's a huge flake and that flake is the only way that this whole thing goes you really don't want to make sure that the flake doesn't doesn't come off um and so in the blue mountains what we would do is we would pin that flake to the wall by using you know stainless rod um, and glue so you're essentially bolting the feature back yep. to the cliff um, where we are sort of industrial artists 
in that um, sort right. of skill set. And if we do it well, you shouldn't know because mm-hmm. we patch everything and it's 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 invisible. And it means that there we don't create dangerous situations in pulling pulling holds and and bits of bits of cliff off. So yeah, there's an uh, there's an element of um, um, industrial stabilization that happens on on a lot of the routes in the mountains. Sure. But by the same token, you know, like every everybody that bolts a route anywhere is kind of considers them. Well, they probably don't consider themselves an artist, but they are because they're sort of creating this this thing out of out of a cliff and figuring out how moves go together. And on really soft rock, um, we want to make sure that those holds don't go anywhere. So yeah, yeah. there's an element of glue um, from here and there. Uh, Frankly, I, like I think it's pretty hard to go to any major climbing area in the world and not find glue. I'd say it's probably it's better than most um, and and worse than than some. You know? Sure. Yep. All right. Last last community comment here is a great one. Comes from Lee Cossey, who's also been on the podcast, um, and he says in reference to Max Indoor Red Point. So if you're coming from the gym, you're coming to the Blue Mountains. Here are the things to consider. You'll need to be able to crimp two grades harder then you want to climb in the Blue Mountains. The resting on jugs is about equal to the grade that you're climbing in the gym. And your power endurance, one grade easier. Yeah, and I think that's probably because most indoor routes are built to, like roped routes, are, are built to sap power endurance. Yeah. So they, they tend to be power endurance heavy because a good set is that. Like I think, I think a comp route in a, in a gym they build every move is is getting harder and you, you're splitting climbers and you, you're having cruxes towards the top of the route. Guess what that is? It's pretty much power endurance right. um, in a nutshell. So given that gym routes are super power endurance heavy, he's probably saying dial it back a little bit. You probably won't need that much at that level, but you'll need to – and what you don't often do in the gym is like hang out at jug rests. Right. You kind of like have a quick shake and move on. Probably you would implement a little bit more – um, or if you're doing circuits on your bouldering wall, throw in some resting on a horizontal and doing, you know, shaking for a minute and a half or two minutes and mm-hmm. then continuing the circuit or do that on a route. And then for crimping, he's not wrong. Like you probably want a couple of levels above what your anticipated, um, you know, red point would be. Yeah. And uh, frankly, I mean, even at, at least in the gyms I went to in Australia, which were, were quite a few, uh, as well as gyms here in the states, it's pretty hard to find bad in-cut crimps in a lot of gyms now. They're mostly big, big blobbier holds, which I really love and I think is really valuable. But the skill of crimping is best trained by crimping. Yeah, and if you can't, if you can't do it on roots because your gym doesn't, you know, you have an amazing modern gym that's using huge volumes and huge holds uh, and they don't set crimp roots, then at least think about um, think about what you're doing on the fingerboard. Yep. Um, think about the position. There's a lot of talk on this, but don't get too don't get too wound up in the details, but at least so if you predominantly are kind of open handing on a large edge um, on on the fingerboard, for your repeaters or something like that, like a repeater type protocol, that's fine. But I would also throw in, in the lead up to the trip, I would throw in, maybe keep your feet on the ground if you need to, 
I would throw in some actual, like get your thumb up over your finger and go for some actual full crimping. Um, to and not you're not the aim is not to build muscle. The aim is to build good form and to get um, muscle memory about the position. Yeah, get so comfortable you're tra- on that position. You're train you're training th- th- being comfortable. Yeah, in in that in that sort of high angle crimp and look, just do a little bit of, of that. And a great thing to use would be something like a, um, a mic, you know, a set of micros. So mm-hmm. an eight mil or a 10 mil edge, even if you're just doing it, um, you don't have to hang. Um, you can just keep your feet on the ground and just gradually load those up and, and try to keep good form in the, in the crimp as you're doing that. And just to train yourself that that's what a crimp is. Because if you're doing a lot of open handing stuff, you might be, um, getting some good sort of muscle building happening and that's good and um, you might be building some endurance if you're using repeaters but you are leaving yourself open to needing to crimp and you being kind of unfamiliar in it and it, the, the the transfer might not work so well yeah so when i was training for recently for a you know for a route that had some really small crimps i used a a tiny little micro that I bolted to a, a block of wood and was lifting, just did some lifting, some weights off the ground yep. with that. And it just, it kind of, it was painful because <laughs> um, yep. I was I was actually using a four mil crimp because it's just what I had, um, which is a tiny little razor blade. And I just worked up to, to the, and it did two things. It sort of taught me the position, but it also did some skin prep for me as well. Like yep. it was almost biting into my skin. Now I wouldn't recommend that people use a four mil edge. But um, you could use use a small. Well, I'm talking a half pad. Everyone's different, but a half pad, yeah. something like that, would be would be fine. And just just load it up and teach yourself how to how to crimp. Well, and I think it also builds pain tolerance as well, which is certainly something I encountered uh, in the mountains uh, after you've climbed a few days. Pain tolerance. You you alluded to it before, but I think if you can climb on like holds that maybe don't feel super comfortable to grab if you have your own woody and you've got some uncomfortable holds a lot like some of the moonboard 2016 holds um, that's going to be really valuable for you to to learn to just grab things despite it hurting your skin um, or hurting to grab not necessarily injuring your tendons kind of pain but but just isn't comfortable to grab it's valuable definitely yeah Yes, skin and crimping, they're big ones. Yeah. And what we see as well is like um, I've noticed this as a – other people might have noticed it at their area, but at a certain grade range, the ability – or at every grade range, the ability to to hit a hold, to take a hold and not move on that hold. Yeah. So not be milking around and not to be like throwing and having your hand slide down that hold, the ability to sort of take a hold – slightly more in control and not move on it um, is a big uh, is a big factor in how much pain is then transferred to the climber so you'll if you're trying something that's you know a bit beyond your limit um, you're moving around on the holds a lot you're sliding on the holds and you, you might have one try and then it's just too painful to climb but then you'll watch somebody that you know has a couple of grades margin on that route and they're doing laps and they're, they're not you, you speak to them, you're like, oh, that super painful crimp, like how did you? They're just like, no, it's not a problem at all. And yeah. the reason is they're super controlled with the way they take the hold. And that matters at every grade yeah. pretty much. 
And so as your ability improves, if you've got a little bit of margin on that route, um, you're more in control on the holds, there is far less pain. Um, yeah, so that's just super, you know, something to consider if you're trying, and it, maybe it's obvious, if you're trying quite hard and you're trying beyond, you know, projects that are, are really difficult, there's almost, um, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to be moving around on the halts more and you're going to encounter more pain. Um, yeah, so keep that in mind with route choice. Yeah, and just a quick note on that before we take a break here. Um, something I noticed watching, uh, what was his name, Flashing Tiger Cat? Jorge Diaz Rulo. I love how you say that. <laughs> and and it sort of rings back to the comments that some of the community made. Like Nicole uh, said, you know, high step and lock off strength is good. I think understanding how to control your body and put yourself in these positions where you have control while reaching for the next hold Um but then being able to bust out of that when you need to for a move or two, like watching Jorge do Tiger Cat, he's in control the vast majority of the time until there are a few moves where he has to be dynamic or he's going into the mode where he's just lunging and latching things because he's pumped. So I think understanding how to control positions is really valuable and something like our uh, sloth drill is really good at that you know forcing you to climb slow and grind through the tension a little bit will teach you a lot about that nice all right uh first off big thanks to all the folks from instagram for putting in their suggestions on how to train for the blue mountains we are gonna take a break and we'll come back with must do roots hidden gyms uh all of those things to get you psyched for your trip to the mountains, the MTNS's break. Sport climbing season is coming fast. Got a nemesis route you need to clip chains on? For over a decade, we've helped climbers prepare for their goals. We've seen patterns emerge, showing what's most effective for each level of climber. Those patterns became our proven plans, a training system that you can follow from complete beginner to 514 and beyond. With workouts geared toward your goals and focused on improving not only strength and power, but tactics and mindset as well, each proven plan comes with a built-in group chat and an option to work directly with one of our coaches. We don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach to climbing. You shouldn't either. All right, we are back with Lee Kujis from Blackheath. Would you, would you say that you are simply a frother now? Are you a proper frother? I know you once were a proper frother, but I'm not sure if you still are. No, I might not be. I might have lost some of the froth. It's down to like a fine foam <laughs> that you might find on a, <laughs> on a nice Australian flat white. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's do must-do roots. What, uh, in the areas, archetypal style, this is the the thing that people are going to think about the blue mountains, this is the route that comes to their mind. Let's go, uh, five, 10 or under, which is like 2021. 20, and, uh, no, can we do, can we do five, zero to five, nine? Yeah, you can do all of those. Cool. So like five, zero to five, nine. Cause there's some, does really one start at five, zero? Five, no, it doesn't. Five, zero is around three or four. So we need, Whoa, really? we need like five negative two 
<laughs> to equate to like a one. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not holding this in my head, people. I'm using a uh, the the grade conversion scale on the crag.com. And look, the Blue Mountains has some of the best easy, um, mm. easy routes. I mean, if I had to pick an area in the world that I've been to in all my travels that has the single best, easiest routes ever, um, it would be Arapiles. Mm. It has just stunning, amazing, yeah, on easy, amazing rock, amazing rock with amazing gear. It's all trad. Um, yeah, you know those easy climbs, and they are the best. But the Blue Mountains has a few bangers uh, in the easy grades because right. the climbing. What are the picks? Yeah. Uh, so for a trad, and I'll for these, I'll, I'll give a few categories. And I'm gonna look if you're local. Don't give me shit about routes <laughs> that I missed out on here. I, you They're know, going to anyway. They're going to anyway, but I don't want to hear about it. Um, there'll be some that I miss, but here we go. And these are this is the gospel according to Lee, not the gospel according to everybody. Exactly. Trad multi pitch cave climb, uh, grade five six, uh, two pitch long multi pitch fifty meters high, narrow neck. Uh, why is it great? Wrap down, climb up, climb inside the cliff mm. in a huge corridor. Yeah, cl- climb back into the cliff and then pop out uh, like in a big U shape, um, and then finish up the top pitch. So you completely lose sight of of everything as you're like squirming through the the bowels yeah, of the earth. So good. Do it on a hot day. It's it's cool in there. You're inside the cliff. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Um, the other one that gets done all the time and is always guided on uh, and you did it with me. It was called Sweet, Sweet Dreams. Sweet Dreams. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um they give that fantastic. Five, they give that five seven, um, six pitches. It's basically like you could, you know, most climbers, uh, if that's your level, um, take all your stuff and be ready. If that's uh, way below your level, uh, just do it in your tennis shoes and have a great day out. It's fantastic. And I don't just real quick on that route. I don't remember if it was the last pitch or not. I think it was. It might have been. That's like. A little steeper and just well, we did. I think it's called Sweet Nightmare, which was like a slight variation up oh, the step. The, so at the last pitch, and look, if anyone's planning on doing this route, the original goes right into a kind of a chimney crack type thing. Uh, there was a very unfortunate recent fatality there. It's loose mm. rock. Um, I, I would avoid that, and I would climb the bolts on the left face for the last pitch. It was much nicer, and then that takes the grade up to about a um, like a five nine or five eight five nine for Got that last. It. Last pitch. Yeah, and then that's that last the, pitch was amazing. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Um, and then for for trad single pitch um, in that same bracket, you've got honey dip at zigzag. Um, yeah, super, super cool route uh, on trad with like one bolt. You, you pull the lip of a roof at 5.6 and then, you know, blast up this, um, this long corner face above. Um, I thought that was amazing. And then what? 5.10. Well, you think you've still got sport in I'd, the under? No. Don't oh. even, no, nah, don't even. There, yes, there's a few things, bits and pieces. Okay. If you do want to climb around that level and you want to climb sport routes, I would head out to um, the Mezzaluna Block area um, out at Mount Victoria and I would climb all the all the bolted routes there and you will need to take your bolt plates for mm. for that place. Cool. That's a, that's a cool place to go and there's a whole stack of routes around the um, – Oh, kind of around that five eight um, ish, five eight up to even maybe five eight to ten B. Um, Got it. And they're really good, really really nice, awesome setting. You're looking out over the valley, um, as you do with a lot of the Blue Mountains um, crags. But Mesaluna Block, 
Cool. Yeah. And then 510 is what, like 1920? 510, we're, we're talking sort of 18, 18. through uh, the easiest end of the 21. So let's Got say it. 18 to 20 basically. Um, so sports single pitch. And I've for some of this, I used the crag to see what people thought were, were, mm-hmm. was really good as well. Uh, for sports single pitch, fairly modern route put up by Neil Monteith at Sublime Point called Theory of Negativity. People love it. It's essentially a set of orange Waco's mm. uh, upper 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 face that's about twenty five meters high or something like that. Um, that the punters love it. Um, cool. So yeah, we give that grade twenty. So that sits around that um, sort of ten C ten D um, area. It splits the splits the grade there. For sport multi pitch, the one that people love in this grade range is called Bunny Bucket Buttress. It's um, grade eighteen, so that's ten A. It's eight pitches, all bolts, wow. adding pierces pass. You can be there in kind of, well, 25 minutes to the car park from Blackheath and then you wander down in about another 25 minutes or so and you've got eight pitches and it's super consistent. Um, really cool, really awesome afternoon out or morning um, depending on how you do it. So cool. In the 511. Um, this is like 20, 21, 22. Yeah, we're talking kind of it starts that that eleven A is kind of your twenty one, and then um, you're right the way through into top end twenty three and easy twenty four is around that um, the the eleven D bracket. Um, so for sport, um, oh no, let's go trad single pitch. I picked um, I picked the Janiceps. Um, I've heard of this. This is a famous um, a famous route at Mount Pennington, like a historical route from. I'm going to say the 70s. Um, sorry if I got it wrong. And I think um, it was John Eubank, if I recall. Mm. I actually talk a little bit about it in a video I did on YouTube um, where I just I do the on-site with a GoPro on my helmet. Um, cool. So if you're interested in that one and you don't want to on-site it, you can have a look at that video. Otherwise, quick, you can Quick question it. here. Do most of the, the mountains climbers do both sport and trad? Um, I think most of the mountains climbers would be comfortable, um, even if they were like pretty elite level sport climbers, I reckon they'd be pretty comfortable on, uh, up to say like 12 B trad Mm. around the mountains. That's kind of my take on it. I might be wrong there, but they, they wouldn't necessarily be always out doing both. Got it. Um, they might do a little bit of trad uh, in the winter because Mount Piddington's a really cool place to go where they can do a few things. Um, but if you ask them, had they done these routes, they probably did, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. They've right. actually done the trad things that are like the the, the standards, but it, they might not, you know, regularly trad climb now. But of course, there's a huge contingent of people that would go out and do both. Sure. Um, yeah. So the Janiceps would be would be the pick, and that is sitting around that kind of eleven A grade. And then for sports single pitch, now this is a tricky one because they're probably this is like five eleven. I have to say it's probably where the mountains really shines. Mm. It's really amazing. Like if you climb eleven C, eleven D, there is so much for you in the blue mountains. I climbed a lot of that grade while I was there. I think it's where it's really good. And of course it's good in high grades as well, but like if I had to pick a grade range, like it's really amazing around that kind of, you know, 11C through 12B. Um, really heaps and heaps of good routes. So it's really so hard like to- 
23 through 25. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much good stuff. I picked for sports single pitch and I had to really go to the the video ref on this and go to the crag and see make mm. sure that that I was I was getting it right. There's a route down at Porter's Pass called the Mine Boggles which is like a 40 meter um mega pitch and it's slab. And oh, you wow. know and you know me, I'm not a slab <laughs> dude, right? I want things as steep as possible. This is an incredible pitch of rock climbing. Really interesting and conti- it's called the Mine Boggles. It's continually engaging and if your arms and and calves don't pump, your brain just might. Mm, so it's I a love good one. those kind of pitches. Really good for sport multi pitch at five eleven. I, I hedge my bets on this, so I've gone Smegadeth. It's like two hundred plus meters. It's grade twenty three, so that's the eleven C, eleven D. And remember, we kind of sandbag in Australia. So if you see a grade, you want to just like mentally add a grade to it. That's fine. You can do that. Yeah, um, do whatever you want. Yeah, but just yeah, be ready. You, you're not going to find a lot of soft touches for the grade in Australia compared to the States. Um, so six pitches, Smegadeth, a Mike Law route. So a lot of people have heard, mm. of, heard of Mikkel, Mike Law, yep. total, total legend um, of the sport. Uh, he did a lot of the multi-pitches out at Pierce's Pass. He was responsible for. Uh, he, he was also responsible for putting in a lot of really – shitty gear so <laughs> so like bad carrots and things like this he, he would say that they just stood the test of time and they have a lot of them except for the ones that didn't and then now we're getting around to rebolting them yeah. so this smegadeth route has just been rebolted so cool. now instead of carrying 20 bolt brackets in your chalk bag and not being able to chalk up you can just clip uh the fantastic rings uh that were replaced by src rebolting so do that route if you're not short. It's quite reachy. If you are a bit on the shorter stature, do Hotel California instead. Um, it's like 10 pitches or so, um, mm. like really a, a quite a long one with some amazing traversing uh, above uh, like a monstrous roof. Um, cool. It sits around that kind of 11B kind of grade. Um, same crag? Pierce's Pass, yep, same, same crag. And then moving on to the 24, 25 through 28. Is so that right? If, so if we're in the we're in the 512, so the 512 is going to take us from 24 up to um, up to 27. Okay. Yeah, 27. So we're starting to get into the hard stuff now. So for trad single pitch, I haven't done the route, but I'm confident to say that the thin line of reprieve at Banks Amphitheater um, is probably the pick. It's an enormous, you wrap in, um, and then you climb. You, you can Google this to see some photos. Um, you'll be blown away. Like if you want to climb the most amazing, like a corner that you can see from miles away mm. um, that has perfect trad all the way up the corner at that grade, so at the grade of like 12A, um, it's a mega pitch of rock climbing. Cool. Totally amazing. Um, for that, that one involves quite a bit of like <sighs> – it's fairly involved access, so you would like talk to someone or you get some idea about how to go there and do it. Don't don't think that it's just going to be something you're going to do um, within five minutes of the cafe. But if you Google that one um, and you're that kind of person, you will probably make the effort uh, to go out and, and do it. For sports single pitch, I hedged here too. So <laughs> I knew, uh, uh, you know, I, I really think the Bell Super Crag is an amazing uh, cliff. It's got like 170 roots. It's fairly. It's a, a little bit more recently developed, like in the last decade or so. And um, a route 
put up there called the reality dysfunction is kind of like 40 degrees overhanging the whole way from oh, bottom really? to top and on monstrous holds wow. uh, with then a thinner finish mm. that that throws off the the throws off the red point um, it's totally amazing that route and the other one that i just picked happens to be the that that everyone loves uh, happens to have that same character, which is really steep, big holds, and that's called the Way of All Flesh. At Bob's oh, yeah. Lookout, I've which you on that one, yep. which you, you you got on last time. So that's a really popular one. There's a Batman uh, start off the first bolt, which is not my favorite thing in the world, but and that uh, gives you the grade of 12C. Uh, it's 13A if you start it from the mm-hmm. from the floor, but that's sort of in, fairly infrequently done. Yeah, that's um, how I was trying it. It's quite hard. Yeah, I, <laughs> from the bottom. I still haven't done the route because I only want to do it climbing it from the the mm-hmm. ground, and I've been on it a couple of times, and I'll get to it at some point. There's yeah. a lot of climbing in the mountains. Um, for trad multi pitch, there is a banger uh, at grade twelve B as well. Yeah. So this is this is Samarkand. So it's five pitches. It's got it does have the odd bolt, but it's mostly gear. It's definitely a trad route, um, despite the couple of bolts. Uh, pierces pass again. Um, Really, yeah, pretty, pretty damn good. Um, for this grade, like in the in the higher grades, it's not like we we're seeing we don't have the same volume of trad routes as we do in the easier grades. So the things to choose from are sort of more few and far between. Mm-hmm. But Samarkand is excellent for a sport multi pitch. My pick at this grade range, um, and it look, it's at the top of the grade bracket. So we're talking like you know solid twelve D uh, is a route called Stiletto put up by who most people will know as Dr. J from the old Rock and Ice uh, columns. Yep. That's Julian That's Saunders. where I first came across him, for e- sure. Exactly. So his dodgy elbows article. Oh, yeah. It's helped helped many with yeah. his, his hammer, hammer curls. and um, So, yeah, that, that route stiletto at Perry's look down. Again, really, so it's a different um, different cliff than, than Pierce's Pass. It's on the other side. You actually look across the valley to Pierce's Pass on mm. the other side. Um, so Perry's look down, amazing, orange, probably some of the best rock if you're a, a lover of really good rock and good geology. Um, that route, the six-pitch route, um, has some of the best rock in the Blue Mountains. Mm, cool. So it's uh, most of the pitches on that hover around the 12C and then the crux pitch is 12D. Wow. Um, so it's really, really good. And then we're oh, now we're really getting up there. So for five thirteen, let's see where that's uh, that's kind of sits as twenty eight through to um, thirty one. Mm-hmm. Um, so for trad single pitch, now this is where I start getting into the area where I go. Well, I I haven't done this, but <laughs> it looks totally amazing. So the root Mother Earth, and again, this will be one that you can um, you can Google some photos of. There's some amazing photos done by Simon Carter of first free ascensionist Jacques Bedouin. Um, just recently, mm. um, freed. He had previously done it with the gear in place, and then has now gone back and done it, placing the gear. An amazing crack going through like a bowl-shaped uh, amphitheater, oh, um, cool kind of thing. And that's out on the news plateau. It's going to be in like a a, a, a this will be like a more difficult to access location. It's not close to town, but if you were the person that that feels like um sort of 13D on gear is what you're you're into, you'd be able to, you'll actually just contact Jacques 
um, and and ask him about it, and he'll probably want to go out and delay yeah, you. Yeah, of uh, course. So, so that that could be something for for somebody um, that really wants to hang their whole body weight off finger locks for the entirety of the of the route through a roof kind of thing. Um, sports single pitch. Now we're throwing it way back to one of the original old classics of the mountains called Hairline Two Thousand. This is a this is a twenty eight. So this is thirteen A. What a banger grade at um, mm. Diamond Falls. Diamond Falls itself being probably it was the original Elphinstone. So it was the original hard man right. uh, and woman cliff where all the crushes went to every weekend. It's become a little bit more difficult to access as of today. Like well, twenty twenty three or whatever because we had a landslide that washed away part of the road right. people are still going out there though you can still and particularly with mountain bikes it's um it's less of a deal but um you can walk out there or you could take a mountain bike um to bypass that landslide you just can't drive like you used to um but this people is still where there's out. still a car out there beyond well, the that was the story so like the this landslide happened uh so it's it's the narrow neck plateau is a place that people go to go to the various climbing areas and they also go to go uh doing these longer hikes that might be a day and sometimes can be multi-day hikes mm. so you would often drive your car out onto the plateau and do whatever you're going to do and then come back and pick up your car and drive home so this landslide happened which washed away the start of the road and i'm talking like it's like a pit that is 10 meters deep oh. by about you know, 20 meters long or something, then there's no way in the universe they're going to repair that anytime soon. Um, in any case, there was a white car <laughs> left in the car park way out there and everyone just was walking past this car going, oh, well, they're never getting that car back. I mean, are they going to helicopter it out? And I mean, if you've got, imagine you've got car insurance and you're like, hey, I want to put in a claim. <laughs> My car my is fine. My car is absolutely fine, but I do need a helicopter rescue of my car. I don't think that's covered. I don't think it's so. like force force majeure, act of God. <laughs> and then in more recent times, um, it has come to our attention the car is now upside down. It's just been flipped over. It's been flipped over, and that was always going to happen. Oh sure, of course. <laughs> so poor guys. Um, anyway, so Hairline Two Thousand at Diamond Falls is a is a, is a classic, and there's plenty of other routes on that wall um that wall is well known for sort of the 512 through really to 14d um it's it's stacked um that's where um we we always called it the red project um mm, yep i, I remember alexander magos eventually came through to create uh, australia's first 35 or 9a 14d mm -hmm. um you know famously uh, so that's sitting on that wall as well. And there's yeah, stacks of other really good routes there as well. Um, 513 Sport Multipitch. This is where self-promotion comes in, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm going to go with Trail of Tears, which is my route um, at, at Pierce's Pass, five pitches. Um, still, no, I shouldn't say that it's still waiting to see a, a second ascent. It's seen plenty of action, but it's just not, hasn't seen a clean second ascent yet. Mm. Be, you know? one piece of rock breaks and the climate you know like right the the ascent's gone so yeah five pitches get onto it people it's really good um the I, su I suspect we'll have some photos of you i think i i think i used a photo of you on Great. that route for a past episode so yeah yeah i had I, I had fun developing that and, and i had even more fun climbing it um so yeah that sits around that the crux pitch of that is around that 13a 
um, and it's got probably I can't think of many pitches that I've enjoyed more than um, the third pitch of that particular route, which comes in at 12D, mm. like a, a 35 meter completely ongoing pumper up this, you know, overhanging wall that just goes forever um, across incredible terrain. Really good. Um, yeah, even if you just went in to do that pitch, it's almost worth it. Um, cool. The other amazing route in this um, in this grade bracket is called. Again, has seen a little bit of action, but I'm not sure how many um, uh, ascents it's had beyond the first ascent. Is called Scurvy. It's a Tom O'Halloran mm. um, route, which a lot of people will be familiar with. Tom as Australian's climbing Olympian um, with a great YouTube channel as well. Um, so that's grade 30. So that's sitting at 513C at seven pitches. Um, wow. Perry's looked down. So the crux, and, and my understanding of that route, I haven't been on it yet. Insane rock. The crux pitch is that grade, and then it, some of the other. It's it's less sustained. It, you got a lot of easier got it uh, climbing, and then a really hard crux pitch. But there's still a lot to it. That's seven pitches at Perry's. It's going to be a big day. Um, and then in the five fourteen, five fourteen, I start to tap out. I'm, I'm not really <laughs> not really qualified. But what I can say is I've spent quite a bit of time on the route called Tiger Cat at Elphinstone, eight C thirty three. That's gonna famous sit. one. Famous one, it's 514B, put up by Lee Cossey. Um, it, very coveted by people um, because it's at Elphinstone, it's a king line, um, it's like 30 metres high, totally amazing. And the the moves are all very, um, or, or, very approachable and, and they feel kind of, it lulls you into thinking you're getting close. You can do them off the rope. You can do it in sections. You're doing mm -hmm. the links, but that red point remains elusive. Um, it's a it's an amazing, amazing rock climb, as are virtually all the routes on the Elphinstone wall. They're all amazing. And But if you had to pick one to sink your teeth into around that level, that'd be the one to do, and then you could start getting into uh, getting into the others. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have a link to the video of Jorge flashing tiger cat with jake bresnahan giving him beta and the belay and turn the volume up while you're watching it's it's brilliant yeah it's and a, that's from rumbler right? rumbler yeah. yeah yeah brecken does an amazing job with rumbler and he puts himself into some um harness hang syndrome uncomfortable positions <laughs> to, to get the footage that we all want to uh that we all want to see so he did a good job with that one cool if you had to pick single personal favorite of any grade i know it's hard to pick one yeah since there's seven thousand routes there maybe you get to pick two all right what do you pick all right for me it's going to be green grass at elphinstone this is a this is a grade what do they give it they okay so they give it 29 so 13b i i you know it might be it might be 13c it might be 30 it might be 29 it might be 30 um green grass another lee cossey route mm. amazing just incredible 30 meter pitch it has a it features a massive drive-by move in the in the middle and i think like for that kind of steep big hold dynamic pumper climbing which i love that sort of euro style um it doesn't get much better than that route and i think my comment when i logged that in my logbook was i wish there was a hundred more just like mm. it it would just be so good and elfinstone is that kind of crag where cuz that's around the level where i start to um i'm starting to top out but 
if you don't top out there and you're able to go into those next few three grades, yeah, that's what you do get. You just get more of the same of that oh, kind of wow. thing. Yeah, so it's just the guy. You can see the guys that climb around that. Not guys, people, um, Andrea and everybody else that's out there climbing. You know, it's um, around that eight C level. It's just yeah, it's just mind blowing. Really yeah. good. Yeah. What about multi pitches? If you chose a favorite multi pitch, uh, if I. I'd love to choose my own, but no, I can't. I'd have to say, like, of the things that I've been on, Stiletto takes the cake. And it takes the cake for a couple of reasons. One is I'm a huge fan of, like, amazing rock quality. If I get to climb on, like, amazing stone um, and Stiletto has more of it than any of the other multi-pitches that I've been on. So there's that. And I also love it when things are quite continuous. Mm. Um, So it's not like a really easy pitch and then a hard pitch and then a really easy pitch. I like it when it's really consistent and stiletto is really consistent from um, all, you know, there is a tiny little scramble out pitch at the top, but apart from that, it's super consistent bottom to top. Yeah. Um, So not not surprising. Both of those are from Australian climbing legends, you know, Lee Cossie, Dr. J. Yep. Overlook classics. What are what are a couple of hidden gems? If people want to get away from the crowds, they but they still want to climb something amazing. Mm. I'd say um, you put me on the spot here. I don't have any notes about this one. Maybe this is just where I recommend all my own routes. Is cave um, climb popular? No, I wouldn't say I, that. I it remember is. you and Sam talking about it as not a popular route. So maybe that's that's definitely one. I think. Um, Walking out to somewhere like if you want to, if it's talking about like escaping the crowds to find something, walking out to a cliff called Banksy, mm. um, fairly more recently uh, recently developed, primarily by sort of Neil Monteith and Paul Thompson. That cliff, and again, that's around the like five eleven breaking into five twelve range of Pumper. Um, long, over, slightly overhanging routes. Um, that's a really good, and you you got like twenty or thirty routes to choose from. Banksy is is somewhere to check out. Cool, um, quite hard on the skin, but you're not going to have the crowds that you might see on a nice day at Baronia Point, for example. Yeah, yeah. All right, if you're going on holiday, you've got a group of your friends. You all climb different grades. Where do you go? If um. If it's not too hot or you want sun, so it's that time of year, uh, it's always going to, well, actually pretty much year round, it's going to be really busy at Upper Shipley. It's super close to the car park. It's super close to the cafe. And if we're saying we want a spread of grades, it has grades ranging from 13 to 33. So we're talking from 5, 6, all the way through to 14B, Mm. all on the one piece of wall, unbroken by anything. Um, and it's pretty unique. It is. And it kind of starts steep at one end and it ends up slabby at the other end. So you can all, it's almost, uh, you want the hardest route, just walk to the far left end. You want the easiest route, walk to the far right Mm. end. Um, it's almost like that. And it's generally vertical to slabby climbing. And then the steeper routes are just slightly overhanging, uh, power endurance test pieces. So Shipley is, is really good. And that's, um, we're talking 80, 84 routes on, on that cliff. Um, the other cliff that I mentioned earlier was called Bell Supercrag. So this is 170 routes and we're talking kind of 16 to 31. So, um, that's like five, eight through 
um, 13D. Mm-hmm. What's good about it is that it's composed of a whole range. It's in a canyon, so there's um, which I always love because you have uh, the choice of sun or shade, right? And that also means that you have kind of the choice of summer and winter, mm-hmm. depending because it'll give you what you want at any time of the year. Um, it's a whole range of closely packed subsectors. Um, some of them are upper tiers, so you'll like walk uh, above. Cool. And climb like an overhanging section of wall with even a sector below you. Have to be a little bit careful about dropping rock, but mm-hmm. um, they kind of work together. So you have these um, closely packed subsectors, each offering different types of climbing. Um, wow, cool! Which is really cool. Very popular good, area. Good name for it then. Yeah, it's cool. It's it's really popular despite the kind of 35, 40 minute walk in. Uh, to get there for that one mm-hmm. and probably about a 20-minute drive as, as well from town. So Bell's really good. And the one that, I mean, I hesitate to recommend it. It's very good, but it gets very busy. Um, but the reason I'll recommend it is because, again, same as uh, same as Shipley, we've got the same grade range, so from 13 to 33, um, and that's 58 routes at Baronia Point. It's it's steep and shady sport climbing with a short walk-in. Uh, it's always going to be popular. Yeah. The rock is also really good. It's really hard and marbly. Um, but if it's a nice, you know, nice afternoon on a hot day uh, at, at Baronia, it's going to be extremely busy and a lot of the routes share the same starts, which exacerbates the problem of busyness. Um, but, yeah, don't believe the don't believe the tripe is, is the classic 8A, um, uh, 13B type thing, and it's, um, yeah, it's well, well, worth, well worth a look. I love how you just gave two grades, neither of which were Australian. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Aussies aren't going to listen to this, so it's okay. They don't need to know. I bet they do. All right. uh, Favorite rest day activity around Mm. the mountains? Well, the Blue Mountains are World Heritage Area. So, like, from a natural environment point of view, um, obviously, you've got the climbing. That's great. But they're not just going to give it world heritage status just because of, you know, rock climbing and cliffs. Right. There's plenty of walks, hikes, um, like historic walks that go back to like where they were cutting into the side of the cliff to make the path and everything mm. back in like 1907 and things oh, wow. like this. And it was also where that Blue Mountains range was where um, the original explorers of the country pushed over the range for the first time. So there's a lot of historical um, mm. things to go and check out in terms of walks and areas and things like that. Um, canyoning, which might in the US be called canyoneering, or I'm confusing it with Canyonero from The Simpsons. It um, is canyoneering. Okay, yep. so in Australia it's called canyoning, same thing. Um, plenty of that to be done um, if you're there in summer uh, and you want to get wet and cold. Um, <laughs> waterfalls to check out. Like I have no problem. Like when my mum and grandma come down to visit, I can just take them to a new lookout uh, yeah. of a nice waterfall. I can take them, you know, there's plenty of those types of things to go and do. Like the natural wonder side of things is pretty, uh, it's pretty replete. Um, mountain biking, I don't treat it as a rest day activity, but mountain biking and trail running, both really popular activities outside climbing. Mm. Um, if you want to, if you're a multi-sport athlete. Um and then otherwise, if it's a rest day thing and you're new to the area, just drive and go and explore each of the small towns and see what they've got to offer. Yeah, we we really liked exploring all the different towns, you know, maybe particularly 
uh, Blackheath and Katoomba. Um, Blackheath's got some great little shops and little restaurants. We really enjoy going to uh, Vince and Helen Day's gallery, the Day Gallery there. Day gallery. Yep. Uh, talking to them about the art, um, climber owned. It's always cool to go see different climber owned businesses. Uh, Katoomba had a great liquor store. Yeah. Liquor store or beer store, one of the two. Yeah, they got a uh, they got a brewery in there called Mountain Culture, which is um which is pretty popular. And it's mm. they have, funnily enough, Tom O'Halloran has his own beer. Um, oh, nice. Called Kitten Mittens, which is like yep. one of our hardest roots. So named after the root of Dolphinstone. Um, so yeah, they've got there's a there's a real good climate connect uh, with with mountain culture and those guys, and they're going from strength to strength. So good to see again, climber owned and climber affiliated businesses doing really well, and they've won a lot of awards uh, for for the brewing that they're doing there, which is pretty cool. So if you're into breweries and um, yeah, the microbrewery kind of scene, that's um, that's a thing. Cool, man. I think I think we've given them a ton of information. One thing I want to know though is how do you know how many moon boards are in town? We were trying to think of this the other night, and Blackheath must be one of the highest per capita, highest moon boards per capita of any town in the world. It's got to be close. I know. I can only speak for my street. I know there's at least <laughs> I three can only speak in for my street. I, I know there's at least three in my street. Um, but in saying that, yeah, I can I can easily rattle then off another, you know, three or four on top of that. So then we're already at like you know seven in and just you know within a very very small radius. So yeah, it's got to be it's got to be right up there. Um, Do people have different sets? Or is um, everybody using the 2016 set? No, I think most people probably now have migrated to um, to the 2019, the most the most recent um, as of time of recording. There's there's rumors in the in the in the ether about the new set coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be a 2024 set, something along, along those lines. But yeah, for right now, I think most people are on 2019. But I'm lucky enough to have both, so I'm running 2019 and 2016 at the minute. Yeah, um, I wish people could have seen how you started rubbing your hands together when you said there might be a 2024 set coming. Oh man, I can't wait! <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to set up like a polling thing on the website, so you know, as soon as it drops, like I, I get a notification. Yeah, you know, and I'm just like, bye, bye. Bye, 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 bye. You might still be a proper frother for moonboard culture. Look, I find the art of training, the, the, the enjoyment of training, the enjoyment of hanging out in the shed where I get to climb on my moonboard, hang on my hangboard and play my trumpet is still more enjoyable on a weekly basis than than going out and getting cold and getting 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 yeah. flappers at the cliff it really is and i've it's taken me a long time to realize that all the things we, that we do to prepare for climbing and that's what this podcast is all about what do we do in the the the, the minutiae of yeah exactly. getting deep into the prep for, for training and proper and, frothing exactly like for a trip that's the fun of it that that's the it's journey and destination that is the journey. The destination yeah. is just the climbing bit that happens. And like, I, I just like that's great. And I, lo- I still love climbing. It's awesome. But I've learned to really appreciate the journey, which is like the the prep, the training. Yeah, I, I love the I love the training and the 
you know, considering how to prepare for areas. And I know so many people love it. And that's why I, that's why I do these things. And I appreciate you taking the time to sit down until the wee hours of the morning to, to properly froth over, over Blue Mountain climbing. So thanks, man. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, if you see me out and about uh, in the mountains and you're out for a trip, um, come over and say hi. Introduce yourself. I'd love to chat with you. Yeah. And uh, if you go to the blog post, which you'll find a link to at the show notes uh, for this episode, you'll find more things, uh, the, the info about gyms and uh, the Local Climbers Coalition and Advocacy Group, which is the uh, ACA NSW, that's New South Wales. Yep. Uh, Crag Care. And then we'll also have links to the SRC Rebolting. I believe that's what it's called. Is that yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're interested in, I mean, it's just, we, we, we have to be so onto it with the Rebolting because of the um, the softer rock. So if you're, if you're keen to give a donation to those guys, they are one of the most active um, and passionate groups um, going around. So yeah, that'd be super appreciated, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll also have links to a bunch of videos and uh, lots of photos of the area as well as best restaurants and um, uh, just all of the things where to stay uh, in the area. So definitely check out that blog post. And uh, as always, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. So we're now on the threads, um, but there's not even a Twitter anymore. Now it's X. So this is the first podcast I've done where I have to say something different at the end. We don't X. We don't X. <laughs> <laughs> we scream like eagles. This time, 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 This time the bill power. This time, 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 time,